The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. What's up, family? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. It's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where the streets, streets and, and politics, politics meet. meet. What's up, Nice? How are you today? I am blessed and highly favored, Queen. How are you doing today? So we are just returning from uh, trade weekend. I say trade week because I feel like I was there for a long time. In fact, uh, when we taped one of the interviews that's coming up in the show today, I was actually on my way to the airport. And the only time that uh, Mayor Ross Baraka had was right in that moment. And so we just stopped and got on and uh, did the interview with him. Uh, and I'm glad we did that. And, and now and we'll be showing folks in a few moments um, what took place in that interview. Um, but Trey Weekend was, uh, I'm really proud of you. You know, I, I was there before you. And so you uh, were not there for the very first event, which I thought was just so, I mean, it moved me and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the weekend from my perspective, because I was there when they did a ribbon cutting, which was actually a rope cutting at Howdy um, Homemade Ice Cream. It is a Houston-based business. I think it's Houston-based, but certainly um, we were at a Houston location. And a large part of their employee base are people who have disabilities. And so all of the employees um, who, have, who, are, who have different issues, they were coming out. They were so happy to see trade there. Uh, hundreds of people showed up to get free ice cream. The mayor was there supporting Trey. Um, and, I, and this partnership gives him the opportunity to bring more people, people who look like us, to the workforce and, um, and to this partnership with Howdy Homemade Ice Cream. And I think it was just a real example of who he is and setting the tone for what the life of Trader Truth means, I don't think that he is um, going to receive his full acknowledgement and flowers until much later on in life 
because the best is yet to come. But at this point, if tomorrow, which, you know, it won't happen, of course, but if tomorrow Trey just said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to, to another country or I'm finished for whatever reason, uh, he's done a lot. He's done a lot of great work. And the, 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 the I guess the example of that or the roots of the work, the, um, the evidence of his work was all over an entire weekend, several days of individuals showing up to support him, to show their love. Uh, a Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee uh, being in the building, she always sought a support tray. Rihanna Taylor's mother, Tamika Palmer. Uh, who else did we see? George Floyd's family supported him. Of course, you know, uh, his uh, George Floyd's cousin, um, Tootie is what we call her. She was with us all weekend, uh, but you know, her mom and her aunts and others just being there to let Trey know that he is he is loved and appreciated. And of course, attorney Lee Merritt, who is going to be the next attorney general of the uh, state of Texas and you know, until freedom was in the building. So it just was a great weekend. And I'm really glad that we took the time to spend uh, with our brother Trey the Truth. Yeah, it was, it was amazing, man. Just, just Trey's stamina is just amazing to me. It's not like he was just present, you know, it's easy to just come and be present, but to be directing, to be organizing at every event for four days straight, where there's probably about an hour or two in between each event, you know, and he's full throttle and hands-on, making sure that everybody who came there with him was taken care of. He's checking on you every five seconds. You're good, everything is good, you know, and understanding being an organizer, being an organizer, being an event planner, doing all those things and understanding how one and two events I have you exhausted. But to watch this man constantly do that for four days straight without rest was just phenomenal, man. And he has so many different artists, you know, trades. First and foremost, he, he's a rap artist. And he, and he, he's, he's real passionate about his, his music. So a lot of the artists came out and showed love. You had, you know, Davies, you had, Herbo, you have my boy Derez Deshaun, you had um, um, so many, I can't even name. You said, be, be, uh, uh, you said Dave Chappelle, B. Simone, Dave Chappelle, um, B. Simone. there was a lot of people who was there to It was just so many people that just came up to show love for Trey, man, and, and being his brother, you know, I'm proud just to be able to say I know somebody like Trey, man. Yeah, me too. Done is just phenomenal, man, so. Salute. If you haven't been to trade days slash trade weekend slash trade week, you missing a big thing, man. It's, 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 it's a phenomenal event. So shout out to our brother. Yes. Shout out to our brother. So, and you know, the other thing that I was really proud of is that throughout the entire weekend, you know, I didn't see many violent outbursts or people who were you know, so frustrated in the heat that, you know, we can get, we can get really, really like frustrated and it can be a lot of tension, but you didn't really see that because I think that Trey sets intention uh, to be a person who folks know that what he's about is extremely positive. Uh, that doesn't mean in, in any way, shape or form that he won't check you because he will. Uh, he's definitely a man's man, but uh, there's something about the energy of people around that they know this is not the time. And there's certain people who I, who I noticed or who I think would never come around because 
it's not the type of environment that they are looking to foster. And it just kind of brings me to um, what I've been seeing you talk about over the last few days, although um, I am always cautious and concerned whenever I feel like you are engaged in conflict with people who I think are, um, you know, real extra sensitive people who can't take a lot of um, critique. Um, you take a lot of people who have so much to say about what you should do, what you did, what you didn't do, what happened in your younger years, people talking about your life, your career, um, and you deal with it. And even though at times I'm sure it's frustrating it's when people say things that's just not true, especially people who you actually know, but you do deal with it and, and, and really brush so much of it off. But not everybody has the same ability to do that. And what I noticed from a lot of uh, people, but particularly a lot of cowardly men, is that their response to dealing with a, someone that puts a mirror up to them is not always safe, it's not always good. And I think that a lot of the people who you particularly challenge um, are individuals who've already proven themselves to be, uh, you know, to be, to be folks who are not, they're not, they're not, they're not in my judgment, really, they have no real care about community. They're not really trying to save lives. They're not really invested in anything that would bring positivity or change or upliftment. I mean, even some of them will challenge you like, well, why haven't you done this or that? But they've never done it. They never would. They never participate and invest in those things. And so I'm always like, why do we even waste our time talking to these individuals? And I guess there's a method to your strategy of making sure that you provide an uh, alternative um, message to our youth. Uh, but it just gets frustrating to watch sometimes because I don't feel like those individuals that you're talking to or about are ever really going to change because it seems like they've been sent here by somebody or something to do exactly what they're doing, which is to cause disruption. Disruption. I think for me, if, if you don't, if you allow negativity and the lies to be louder than the truth, if you allow those who are just mis misleading our youth to be front and center, to have all the promotion, to utilize every platform they can to deliver their message, but you don't utilize, our, we don't utilize our voices and our own platforms to deliver the counter message that can actually save our kids' lives, then we're just as guilty as they are. You know, if, if we just sitting there back watching these people spread these lies and say a bunch of bullshit, as I say, that really ain't true, you know, and, and advocate for a lifestyle that's detrimental to these kids' lives, to promote certain things that are detrimental to the survival and, 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 and leading the culture into a direction that is, is ultimately a dead end, then what, are we, what, are, what is the work for? For me, right? If For me, this, people say, yo, you above this, I continue to talk to you, to myself, if I'm from this community, right? And I know that there are people who utilize their platforms that have a real stronghold on my community, right? And I, because I left, because I'm able, I've, I've been blessed enough to be able to afford a different place of residence, 
do I not care that kids that come from where I come from are being misled and misguided or being taught to say that I know it's not real? Then what is my work, right? Who who am I actually here to save? Or am I just because then at that point you can call me a clout chaser. You can say that I'm an ambulance chaser and I'm just doing this because I've left the real work. The real work is transforming these young kids that thought just like I did at 16 and 15 and 14, that that yo, whoever was gangster was the one who was causing all the trouble. And if you pulled out your gun and then you talk all this violent stuff and you was rougher and tougher than everybody, then that made you real, that made you a man. If I leave the community that at 14 and 13, 15, that was my mentality. And because I don't have to deal with that no more and I transform and I understand something different and I don't come back and give real understandings about that to these kids, then what exactly what am I what exactly am I doing? How am I how am I doing any work? What is the work I'm doing? I'm going to talk to the choir, to the preacher, all the people that know you know the anti-violence organization. I'm sitting in rooms with the anti-violence organization people who who already know that where the money is or, or who already know about violence, who already changed their life. So if I'm just talking to y'all all day and I'm in those rooms and ain't none of these kids I'm trying to save. If I'm not on the platforms where you got academics and whacking them talking this dumb shit want to bring six nine to life and try to make it seem like the lifestyle that he chose and then the decisions that he chose are, are what you should be doing but that's that's not an alternative to street life right so if people are making people think that what six nine did is something to be celebrated oh you know oh, we don't want to talk about street life no we don't want to talk about criminality no we don't advocate for street life but letting kids believe that you can put hits on people you can cause violence you can run around in the streets and cause violence and get people shot at. You can tell people to shoot other people. And then when you're being held accountable for the crimes and the lifestyle that you chose, when the police come to you and say, hey, you did this and this and this, and this is what the, the consequences are for that, unless you tell on somebody else, right? And when you decide that, you know what, I don't wanna deal with my own consequences. So I'm gonna make sure that somebody else deals with the consequences of their actions so I don't have to deal with mine, right? Not only do you lack integrity, but you give a false narrative to these kids who are in the street that say, you know what? I could keep doing crime because all I got to do is tell on somebody else and I'm not going to go to jail. There's no real consequences to what happens, right? So people think that's not a way to, or to stop crime and stop shooting and violence in our community. The way is to say, hey, listen, the consequences in the street life is jail or death. You can't escape it. Right, so when, when you let them think that, then a person, a logical person says, I really don't wanna to go to jail and I don't wanna die. So I'm going to choose something different. And that's the reality of what it is. So when people try to say, oh, you, you wanna be in the streets? No, I don't wanna be in the streets. I don't want nobody to be in the streets, but I don't want us to celebrate coward behavior. I don't want us to advertise and, and continue to perpetuate and uplift people who are just cowards. I just. That's not what it is. And it's not about street life. That's in every aspect of the world. In, in this, the movement that we work, we have cowards who will sell us out immediately because they don't want to deal with heat. They'll ride with you all the time and be with you. And then some come back and there's a little bit of heat on you. They separate themselves from you. They tell what you said, oh, this person is doing this. It's a coward mentality. So it has nothing to do with criminology or the streets. It's about integrity. So I'm, I'm, unfortunately, this is my job, and I know it's my job, Tamika, because every time these things happen, my spirit is not at rest, right? I, I can't be quiet. When I see things like this, 
I'm immediately drawn to say, oh, my, you have to say, I don't care how quiet I try to be, my spirit is not okay with it. And if, it, if, if, if I was supposed to be quiet, then I would be able to just rub it off and be like, it don't bother me, it don't matter to me. But everybody has a different role to play. And I believe that my role is really transforming the street-minded individual who've been lied to to understand the realities of what's really going on in these streets and what's going on in life and how it's going to affect you ultimately. You know, I respect what you're saying, and, and I feel like it that applies to so many places in our lives. Um, you know, I feel that we are living in a, a time when there is so much happening all around us, and we all have to hone in on the things that we can influence, how we can use our voices to be more impactful and not more harmful. Um, and I think our youth are really crying out for people to help find another way and to show them that there is a better way to go about and to approach uh, the lifestyle that they're trying to live. But there are voices out there that drown out um, the sounds of anything positive. There are people who see an opportunity, a paycheck, right? They see not just a paycheck, but they also see their own fame being wrapped up in just getting in where they fit in and flowing what the, with the, the current uh, culture and climate. And that's really dangerous because our children get caught up in that. Um, and they're, you know, over the last few weeks, I've really been deeply reflecting on how will we address the issues externally but really have a double down focus on issues that are happen, happening internally. And I think that's what I hear you saying. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not easy. Um, and certainly it will come with a lot of criticism and a lot of people who feel like, you know, they tell us all the time, we, sh we, we, we shouldn't be fighting police or, or fighting with uh, government, that we should just focus on building in the community. But no, we have to call out injustice. We have to call for righteousness. And it's hard work. So we all have a, a cross to bear. We all have, you know, and, and I think for me, you know, whenever I speak to women's rights and try to talk about uh, the support that women need, the support that we're not getting, and the ways in which we are often abused and harmed by our own men. Those are moments when people say to me, well, why do you have to talk about that? You know, just stick with this other thing. Don't focus on that because it makes people feel like I'm being divisive. But the truth is the truth and we have to tell it in order for things to get better. So that's the deal. Um, you know, I guess for me, the thought of the day today is wrapped around this concept that, and it's so funny as you were saying what you were saying about how, you know, you, you just, your spirit won't rest. I was listening to uh, Dick Gregory speaking and he said, when the universe chooses you to wear the glasses and you put them on, there's rules that come with wearing the glasses. And he said that once you have them on, you can't see things as people would want you to see them. You actually see them as they are. 
And therefore you are burdened with the responsibility to talk about and to speak truth to power. And at that point, when you're doing that, it's hard, it's hard. And I think my thought of the day today is around the around what Dick Gregory is saying that some of us have the glasses on and we can see things that just need to be addressed, um, even though it's really, really an uncomfortable place to be. So that's my feelings for today. And it, it, it leads us sort of into what we've been talking about for these episodes. I think we're up to episode four, where we're really focusing on violence intervention and awareness, because what we don't want to see is that because of all this tension and beefs and everything, it's in the music, it's in the culture, it's in the outside, people stressed out, people got mental health issues. You see so much happening. We don't want there to be an excuse made to take us back to the 90s crime bill um, where you know our people are just being locked up because folks are so frustrated that they and so afraid that they're just starting to call for more police and more punitive measures to deal with real serious community crises. Um, so you know, I, I guess I'm walking around with a little bit of burden on me today. I get it, Tamika. It's a lot, man. And I walk around with that burden. We both, we both have heavy, heavy loads to bear, you know. And I guess that's why God chose us to do this work together. So, you know, I appreciate you for the work you do. And I know sometimes my voice, you know, at times is, is a little scary. Not really scary, but it's like you wish that I had I didn't have to say. And I, sometimes I wish I didn't have to say a lot of things I do. But I know coming from this hip-hop culture, understanding the impact that it has on the minds of these kids. You know, when I when I went and talked in, in these precincts and I went to different detention centers and Rikers Island, I sat down with these 16 to 17 year olds, understanding how the people that they follow in this culture, musically and everything, impacts the decisions that they made that actually put them in prison. Understanding that, you know, I feel like I have a higher, you know, calling. I have a responsibility because I understand how serious that is. I understand how your favorite artists and people you respect can literally dictate the outcome of your life, especially when you, when, when you just in these streets and in this culture. You know, so my, my moral compass is never going to allow me to sit back and watch people intentionally just mislead these kids. Like you said, I got the glasses on, so I'm going to have to call it how I see it. So that brings us into this episode, which is going to be a very informative episode. Two people that we love who are on the front line doing this work. We have the esteemed, honorable mayor of Newark, Ross J. Baraka, and we also have someone who he works very close with. She is the director of the Newark Violence Prevention and Trauma Recovery Center in Newark. And she's gonna to bring to you all of the efforts that are being done together. This should be a dope show. I'm interested to hear them. Once again, these are two of our friends because we have friends that do dope work. So I'm definitely looking forward to this episode. Let's get into it. That's how we own it. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides. 
loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises, or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. So first, um, before we get started, usually for our Streets is Talking uh, segment, we have our brand expert, Miss um, Latoya Bond to come and uh, showcase a, a small business. We certainly want to keep that going. And so we'll be back to that in the next episode. Before today, we want to show you a video um, about the work that is happening in Newark. It's actually a clip um, that the media has done an interview on the work that's happening to prevent violence in Newark, New Jersey. So we wanna watch it together so that as we're talking to Mayor Baraka and also Ms. Lakeisha Yuri, who works for the mayor and is really, uh, as my son has said, she is managing the violence intervention and trauma work for the mayor on his behalf. Uh, before we talk to them, let's watch this video and just get a, a real understanding of what it is that they're doing and a real hands-on way on the ground in Newark, New Jersey. In the wake of George Floyd's murder last year, Newark Mayor Roz Baraka announced the city would divert 5% of its police budget to community-based anti-violence programs. News 12's Brian Donahue got the first look at a summer program created as part of that initiative. But I've been working and trying to get myself together. On the sidewalk outside the small wellness center in a Newark neighborhood battered by drug violence and hardship, the stories pour forth of a torrent of trauma. There's Todd Carter, who's been shot 20 times, just recently home in Newark after an eight-year federal prison sentence for dealing drugs. As soon as they put you back in the world, they expect for you to be this new person, to go get a job to change your life, and you stuck. You don't know how to do that. 
Takia Reeves was shot twice at a nightclub in 2017 and nearly died. Um, I ended up in the hospital on, on life support. Um, you know, I coded like about seven times during seven operations. And, and Carlos Smith is trying to find his footing after losing his job at Walmart weeks before his 20th birthday. But something negative always happens to me around my birthday. All three were recently hired by the city of Newark for a unique summer job getting their lives back on track. So it was a, it's an earn and learn type of a program. It's called the Safe Summer Academy. This is what I see for myself, right? This is where I want to go. At four sites in the city's toughest neighborhoods, 120 people aged 14 and up are paid $15 an hour to attend workshops and classes in things like overcoming trauma, managing finances, and starting businesses. Each is teamed with a caseworker or social worker to help them through. So the way that we approach this is from a public health lens, and we understand that people have social emotional issues, mental health issues, um, that depression and stress and all of those things are real areas and real places that our people are struggling with. And so we need to put some supports around them. Who's had a hardship in here? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Nobody else. Okay, we've had some hardships in here. That builds resilience. The program is part of the Office of Violence Prevention, started by Mayor Ross Baraka in the wake of the George Floyd murder and funded with a diversion of 5% of the police department's budget. With so much debate over the phrase defund the police, Newark is providing this first glimpse at what that actually looks like. We don't say that we are defunding the police, we are refunding the people. One part of the program that's not on any syllabus is the hope and inspiration participants can get from each other. Like Reeves, for example, who after recovering from being shot, went on to earn first her associate's degree and then her bachelor's in criminal justice from Rutgers. When I go see the doctors, their faces be like, you know, like, wow, you're not supposed to be here, but I am supposed to be here. You know, like, I have a story, I have a testimony. We all do. We all been through tragic stuff. I, I really just wanted to take what happened to me and, and, you know, turn it into something good, something great, something better. So that's why this program is really helping me. Thank so you. you, you're going to be, you're going to be running this program. I'm Brian Donahue. That's Positively New Jersey. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, this was a pre-recorded uh, component of today's episode because Mayor Baraka, who's a very, very busy man, only had a very specific amount of time. And uh, while I was on my way to the airport to travel to Houston for Trade Day weekend, um, I, we, we just had to get on and do the interview. So now we're going to be joined by uh, Mayor Ross Baraka, who is the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. But he also is a very stalwart individual in the community. Mayor Baraka is well known for his community efforts. He's the type of mayor that we need, the type of mayor that comes from the people, that is of the people, but is able to turn his passion for organizing and for community bases, um, for, for community-based approaches to addressing a myriad of issues, he's able to turn that into real work on the ground in Newark and is making significant changes. Um, I see the changes when I'm visiting Newark of where communities were torn down and he is rebuilding and doing so much work. He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of ours. Um, and of course, he's done a lot of work with my son. Um, I watched the two of you get together for many events and mediations. People don't know about the things that you all have done that is off camera when you've actually been sitting down with the mayor 
and other men working out tension and, and confusion and conflict in our communities. And so let's hear from Mayor Ross Baraka. Let's listen to this interview that we did. And please excuse that I look like a crazy woman in the car, but um, I think what he's saying is more important than the aesthetics of the interview. That's how we own it. The reason why I think it's, it's so important uh, to have you on today, Mayor Baraka, and why my son and I really wanted to have you as a part of this six episode series that we're doing about gun violence is because you are approaching it exactly as um, you know we support what we believe. And that is that you could put all the police you want on the streets, but if you don't invest in the people, uh, you will never be able to reduce gun violence and to save lives. And so uh, we just wanted to hear from you today to hear more about what you're doing, um, you know, I, I, the, the program and what you have been doing in Newark is really innovative. Our sister Jamila T. Davis, Dr. Davis, is constantly telling us that as she's on the ground in Newark, she sees real change happening in real time. So, uh, you know, I don't know, my son, if you want to say something, but we'd love to hear from you. And I know you have short time to be here uh, just to let us know what it is that you're doing and what's the approach you're taking. Yeah, we, I mean, thank you. I mean, I'm honored to be on, first of all, uh, and I appreciate you having me on. You know, we just in the middle of, the, of, of of hard work. You know, there's a lot of talk, a lot of stuff going on around the country. We are just really trying to lay one brick at a time. And it's, 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 it's hard, as I was expressing earlier, you know, in an environment, you know, where we're trying to create opportunity for social justice, uh, opportunities for people in our community and deal with gun violence uh, that's escalating uh, in our neighborhoods, you know, and one of the biggest critics of all of the things that you're going to have to deal with in terms of uh, trying to do this work are people that live in these neighborhoods, mothers, grandmothers, you know, folks that are raising kids in these communities that are, that are, you know, experiencing hard, high levels of violence. And just to put it in perspective, like 80% of the neighborhoods in Newark do not experience violent crime at all, 80%, right? So that looks like, that sounds like a good number. Uh, and, and we got this from Rutgers when they did their study, but that means that 20% of the community is experiencing 100% of the violence, right? Uh, uh, and so if you're in the 80%, then you're like, oh, it's all good. But if you're in the 20% of those neighborhoods, uh, then you, you have a real serious problem, a dramatic problem. Uh, and so we, we have to figure out how to deal with both of those things, like how to create an atmosphere uh, where we make the police re respect our constitutional rights, uh, where social justice is, is at the forefront of everything that we do, uh, and, 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 and reducing violence and crime. And so we think that public safety is not just the role of the police. Public safety is the role of all of us in this community. Uh, and so we need to give, give resources to other people in other areas where it's needed to help us reduce violence and crime and trauma uh, that has been incurred in our community over decades uh, and no, so the police can't deal with those issues. And so that speaks directly to the idea of removing some funding and moving it in other places to help, uh, you know, stabilize the community. So if violence is down, the need for police is down, uh, over policing in those communities is down. And, and, and that's really how we're approaching it. Uh, violence is a public health issue. Uh, we created an office of violence prevention and trauma recovery. Keisha Yuri is doing an outstanding job uh, trying to put this together and she's building it you know, as she going, you know, pulling community partners together, have a lot of consultants trying to figure out how to get this done, pulling all of the street organizations that do all of the violence intervention and prevention work together, 
everybody and uh, trying to get data uh, and making sure that we uh, tackle hot spots in areas, uh, deal with trauma, doing intervention in kids' lives, uh, helping families from domestic violence to shooting victims, uh, uh, everything uh, that they're involved in right now. And this summer, I think what um, Jamila is talking about, we, uh, as a part of our, our youth development program, we've hired, and, and, and even some adults now, over 100, maybe 140, I think, uh, folks who are directly involved uh, with, the legal, with the legal system, uh, directly involved in, in terms of shootings or shooting victims. Uh, we, we created a, our own program. Uh, we paid them uh, to go listen to speakers, to go to forums, to, to deal with trauma training, to, to, to face the issues they're dealing with in their lives, to prepare them. Uh, to, to stop the violence that they're involved in in the community and, and help them uh, get employment. And that's, that's what we're working on uh, this summer uh, amongst a, a myriad of other things. Wow, that's, that's amazing, man. Once again, I, I truly appreciate the work that you always do, man, the way that you're so community-based in everything that you do. I just want to know, because there's so many different perspectives, like what would you think is contributing to the the rash of just higher violent crimes? Like what, what would you think of the, the main two or three things that you see are really the, the major factors? Just the e emotional stress and deterioration that's happening in our community uh, right now, particularly, look, it's happening in everybody's community under COVID, the pressure, the emotional uh, stress has caused uh, this kind of response, really aggressiveness uh, that's going on. Uh, the fact that people aren't making uh, on, on all levels, uh, even the, the black market, or, or I should say the white market, <laughs> you, the, aren't, aren't making the kind of money that, that, you know, that they were because of what's going on out here. People out were in the house, they're coming outside and fighting over territory and position and, 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 and all these other kind of uh, things. And it's, it's difficult for people uh, uh, to be able to navigate all of the social services that existed before. Most of those things shut down. Uh, the social services shut down, the court shut down, everything shut down. And so people out here really fending for themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a court system up top that people deal with. And then there's the, the kind of court system that takes place in the streets that unfortunately uh, involves violence. Uh, uh, and if there's no social services, no intervention, no folks involved, employed in here, it makes it more difficult. Wow. And, you know, I was, I was having this conversation today and it seems to me as if these shooters, quote unquote, are getting so much younger. Absolutely. Right? And, 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 and that's, that's really dangerous. To me, it's like, there's a mind state to where they, the, the, the lack of value for life. I, I, I've attributed it to the internet. That's you right. Know, I've attributed it because the, the visuals of these kids constantly seeing you know, violence, and then they seeing it being celebrated, right? Because as a young kid, you're very impressionable. And I remember when I was, like I said all the time, my first vision of success wasn't a, a lawyer. I didn't live next door to a lawyer. I lived next door to a drug dealer. So I wanted to be like the drug dealer. He had the girl I wanted, the car I wanted, all the things I wanted was this was the person I seen. And so when you're seeing on in this internet and you're seeing these young kids are seeing, you know, grown people being celebrated for violence and, you know, be getting uplifted, you know, it, it has a toll and it, it really just, molds them. What, what do you think about that? I have a real life story. I mean, that's that's real what you're saying. I know a, a guy that I grew up with 
who's a lawyer. And I used to tell him, I said, look, I always knew you was going to be a lawyer. You're very smart. He said, I didn't know I was, I, I was going to be a lawyer. That's all I knew. My father was a lawyer. He took me to his trials. I had law briefs on the coffee table in the kitchen. I said, I didn't know nothing else. And when people used to ask me what I want to do when I grew up, I would always say lawyer because I didn't know what else to say. And ultimately, it just drove me towards being a lawyer. Now, imagine you come home. It's not law briefs on the table, right? It's yeah. other stuff on the table. And the and, and job they take you to is not the courtroom uh, or, or the clerk for some judge, but, you know, it's the, the block or the corner. And so when people ask you what you want to be when you grow up, it's natural response, uh, unfortunately, is the things that you see in front of you. And now they paying these kids, you know, money that they, you know, it's small money, but they paying the money out here in a very difficult economy to do this kind of stuff. And they think, and, and like you said, it's being celebrated. So they think this is okay. And they don't have anybody intervening. And look, the data tells us if you grow up in a household where your siblings or, or parents have been incarcerated, you're more likely to be incarcerated yourself. You grow up in a household where you've been a victim or a perpetrator of violence, you're more likely to be a victim or perpetrator of violence yourself. So we identify, we know who these kids are. Like we can identify the social services system, know the law enforcement system, know the communities, know it's it's a it's less than two three percent of the people in the community that's committing ninety percent of the violence that's going on. So we know where they are, we know how to identify them, we know what's the the atmosphere that's going to create them. So we have to intervene immediately. We know it's getting ready to go down, uh, and to watch it happen uh, almost makes us co-conspirators in it. That's a fact. Wow, that's deep. Makes us co-conspirators. It's, it's, it's so true because, you know, our expectation is that what you're doing should be happening all across the nation. And it's not. And in fact, there are mayors, governors and others who have pushed back against um, having a community based program. And in fact, when we started the crisis management system in New York City uh, with Erica Ford and A.T. Mitchell and others that you know very well, Mayor Bloomberg was 100% against it. In fact, he was 1,000% against it. He believed that legislation and policing were the only ways to address violence. Um, and now to see what you're doing, it would seem to me that other mayors, you know, and since we're just in a different place in society, that people would pick up your model and use it, but that is not actually what's happening. Let me ask you about the ARP funds, the funds that are have come down or they have been sent to many of the cities, uh, which is a part of the COVID relief plan. Are you using much of those funds or a part of those funds to address these issues? And do you believe that other mayors should be using funds out of the COVID relief uh, to address violence? And because some people may not see that there's a connection between the two. Absolutely, you should. And a matter of fact, the, the White House was suggesting that we people do that in terms of uh, just the idea of hiring more youth uh, in the summertime, dealing with the, the spike in youth violence. So all of those are, are, are ways to, to use that ARP dollar. So we are using some of the money around uh, Safe Summer Initiative, uh, hiring people uh, in, in, in the summer, increasing the summer jobs, but also creating opportunities for, uh, you know, grassroots organization and nonprofit organizations to make a little money uh, while servicing young people throughout the summer. Uh, and, and that's important because now you put these businesses back on their feet, you put these nonprofits, you give them uh, resources and, and, and money and opportunity to put back into the economy. So you are servicing your economy and lifting your economy up by taking care of small businesses, grassroots organizations, nonprofits that are out here servicing young people with little or no resources at all. 
So you can use this as an opportunity to give them the resources that they need. Well, giving them jobs, we think, is a critical part of this piece. And I know that the, the you know, the, the you had talked about the resources that you all are giving to young people. That there's there's a gentleman. Um, I, I can't remember his name. It, it escapes me now. But he is from uh, Newark, and I've been told by others that he actually started this idea of paying people, not necessarily paying them, but um, giving people resources who were considered to be shooters um, and or problematic in society. They have issues. They've been in and out of the system. And so you all are targeting, focused on that particular population as a, as a central component of this work. Absolutely. Uh, like I said earlier, you we know who they are. So the, the police department gave us the top 50 young people mm -hmm. that we needed to engage it immediately. Wow. And so we went after those. So folks. they know. So they know. Of that's course. that's the point. They know who they know. the issue, who has the issues. Sure. They know who where the problems are. Absolutely. And you all are taking them instead of encouraging them to be locked up. You're trying to give them a second chance. Yeah, I wrote a letter to all of their parents, and I, I'm mm -hmm. going to write another one to the to the parents of the the new kids that are here now, just telling them, look, we we know your kid is uh, involved in this and involved in that, and before they either wind up in jail or dead. Here's a series of programs that you can put your kids in right now. And as a matter of fact, if you wanna speak about this further, here's uh, our phone number, our address, please come down and meet with us in person to talk about how we can service your child. Mm, wow. That's and, that's, and that's the work that needs to be done. We were just sitting here talking about how, you know, all the social justice work that's been done over the past year and, and, and all of the strides and how just this violence is something that the, st the structure can utilize against us to try to pull back all of the work that we've done. So that's why I really commend when you, you, you're taking a proactive approach, you know, a lot of these, the structure will, would like to take these kids and see them and prepare jails for them. You know, they look at these, these kids and say, okay, these are the kids that are eventually gonna go to jail. They're not redirecting them. They're not seeing that and getting in front of that and giving them resources and giving them different ways to direct their energy. They're just preparing to be able to lock them up. But you're taking an approach that we all should be taking in our community, that we see these kids and we can identify that they, they, are, they have some issues and they have problems. And we got to figure out whether it's mental issues, whether it's just too much energy, whether they're hanging around the wrong crowd, but we're giving them opportunities. I mean, you're giving them opportunities to redirect and, and be on a different path. And, 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 and by the way, they, just like they have issues, they also have talents. And who's going to help them to develop that? And um, I think that, uh, I, you know, obviously I, I call you Ross, but Mayor Baraka, um, you know, it's, it's really commendable. And we're not just saying it because you're on the show and because we love you as a dear friend and brother, but it's commendable because who's going to save our children? If not us, then who? And, it, and, it, and it, it requires a certain love for our people to understand that you're going to have to fight the people that you're trying to help, right? right. They're going to disagree. <laughs> I know you do. If you work with black, if you work with black people, you fight every single day of your life. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a quick story. We was just at, at one of these events, and so the man's in the back, and the guy's in the front, and he's pissed off with the man saying, "You ain't give me a job." Yeah. And he said, "The man didn't give me a job. He didn't hire me." So Russ didn't say nothing. He came. He and then he comes to the front and he gives a um a speech and he's talking. He said, "Well." Everybody here is being paid to be here. 
That's right. So, so I actually, I did hire you. You know, <laughs> everyone in this building that was here, like you're literally being paid to come to this program. You know? and, and, and we can't give all the research. Sometimes he said, if I hire you, there's somebody who's actually been doing something else and, and, and took a few more steps to get the job that you're looking for. It's not that I don't want to hire you, but yeah. if I don't hire you and then I don't hire them and they say, oh, well, I need to get in trouble to get a job. So he said, it's, it's, we damned if we do and we damned if we don't, but the bottom line is we still going to do the work. And we know you got to go and we appreciate you, hey, man. man. If, if you don't want to get punched in the face, don't get in the ring, brother. That's, that's what it's about. You know, you got to deal with all of the blows that's going to come at you. You just got to do the work that you know you're supposed to do. That's it. Trust me, we, we know all so well about that. We get punched in the face all day, all night. But we appreciate you, man. We know you're busy, and yeah. we appreciate you taking your time out. The work that you're doing is commendable. Hopefully, we'll get some more officials that follow this model, man, and, and invest in our kids' future and not the prison. Anytime, man. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Tamika. Definitely. Thank you. I love you so much, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for being with us. And we have to invite you back as we continue to go through this series uh, to have more dialogue about the steps that need to be taken because people act like they don't know what to do. Well, you're a shining example of how to get it done. Thank you. All right. Thank peace, y'all. All right. Peace, gang. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? their year. 
These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That was a dope interview. You know, yes. Mayor Baraka, he's, he's an amazing guy because he shows you how coming from organizer, you know, he was once just a community organizer, then he went to being a principal and then council and that, then to the mayor. And the effect and the respect that he has in his community is what it, what it is. And that's what I say about community-based organizations, having people from the community, you know, the alternative to police presence in our community is about having people from the community who are respected and loved. And you can transform it. And that's the way that he approaches being the mayor. He approaches being the mayor from the lens of being someone who actually loves and cares for the community. So that shows you when you actually care about your community and you come from that community, you are more likely to want to do what's for the community. Yeah, and I, th I think I agree with you, Mice. And you know what I think? Um, there should be more of this that's happening within our society that you can't just show up to run for mayor. You know, where people were saying, well, why were you so against Andrew Yang running for mayor? Um, and while Eric Adams and I, I know, I've known him for a long time um, and I have a lot of respect for Eric, I'm still uh, in disagreement with him about a few of the issues that I care about in terms of how he intends to lead the city Yet and still, I have to say that he has a background in doing work within our communities. He actually was very, very involved, heavily involved in addressing policing issues within New York City's NYPD. He did that. He worked with the Blacks in law enforcement and they were out there challenging police all, all the time. And he knows the communities, even Ray McGuire. He wasn't, uh, he's not, you know, he's not a, 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 and he is not the typical mayoral candidate because clearly he has a lot of wealth and he has been in, um, in private practice, but he's from the community. Andrew Yang, unfortunately, is not, period. I actually have never seen him. And Ray McGuire, one thing I can say, many of the community events that we've done, he's been there. That's why I know him. I know him from being out there, showing up at events, um, you know, donating resources. Same thing with uh, Maya Wiley. These are people we've actually seen. Whether or not we agree, I'm not talking about agreeing with them on everything. Even Scott Stringer. These are people we've seen. They've been on the issues at one point or another. They've been engaged in some way. Don't have to agree with everything. Don't have to support all their policies. But someone who just shows up from absolutely nowhere and decides that because of a message of, you know, giving people a thousand dollars or whatever, they can become mayor when uh, unfortunately they have not been engaged on a day to day basis or you know, on any uh, level in our communities. I just didn't think that that was OK. And not to mention the things that he said while running for mayor gave me a clear understanding of why I felt the way that I felt inside. When they asked him about street vendors and he said there has to be more enforcement and basically locking up people who are out there selling Lucy cigarettes because, and I, I know those are not necessarily street vendors, but you get my point. These are people out there selling bottled water, they're selling you know different things, hats or whatever. Instead of him saying that we need to get them in the pipeline, 
so that they can get the types of uh, certificates that they need to do the work. He went straight to law enforcement and policing. And I thought to myself, this is not a good idea. So, you know, there are people who didn't like it, but again, the glasses. So we know, man. So I'm just happy that we understand. And hopefully we can give some understanding to everybody that's paying attention. Like if you can't, there's nothing about us without us, man. You can't be in our communities and you ain't from our communities. You don't have a pulse on what's going on in the streets. You don't have a pulse of what's going on in the, in the, the communities that you're trying to govern, then how can you govern or do anything for them correctly? Facts. Facts. So we just spoke to Mayor Ross Baraka and he spoke to us about this person that we're about to interview right now. She is Lakeisha Yuri. She is the Executive Director of Violence Prevention and Trauma Recovery in Newark, New Jersey. She does all the work because Ross Barak is the mayor of Newark and he has so much on his plate. She is the go-to person for all, everything violence prevention and intervention inside of Newark, New Jersey. She has handled so much. I've worked with her. She is a phenomenal sister. Lakeisha Yuri, how are you doing today, Queen? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Thank you so much. So Lakeisha, we thank you. I just want to say hi. It's so good to see you. And every time I see you, we're working. So it's good to give you an opportunity to tell people what it is that you do every day and how much you make the efforts of Mayor Baraka um, make it real in Newark, New Jersey. Oh, thank you so much. We know that these front lines are certainly front lines, um, and we certainly showed it so um, shoulder to shoulder. So it's good to see you. It's good to see my song, and it's good to be on the show. Street politicians, right? That's who we are. That's yes, right. So give us, give the people, tell the people what it is that you exactly do. What does your position entail? So under Mayor Raj J. Baraka, um, maybe a year ago in the awakening cries of George Floyd in the protests, there was this rallying cry around defunding of the police. And so the city of Newark ultimately um, reallocated 5% of its police department budget to violence prevention program. So I was already doing some work out of the health department. And so what we did was we put domestic violence, sexual assault and community violence under one umbrella. And so we are um, building out domestic, um, not just domestic violence, but community violence, but putting it in a place where we are approaching it from a public health place. So we are marrying public safety and public health, and we're having our own community-based public safety, where the police don't have to respond to everything, where the people are allowed to, to have a voice in public safety. And so we are getting a police precinct. So the city of Newark has seven police precincts. And one of the precincts is going to be designated to the Office of Violence Prevention. So we're building out this office um, and we're building a museum. So in this precinct, we're going to have a conflict resolution museum. Um, and that museum is going to tell the history of the city of Newark's policing from the 67 rebellion up through today to where we see changes that are happening in law enforcement and in the police department in the city of Newark. So my office is going to be responsible for the, the social services aspect, the mental health aspect. Um, we have a um, Brick City Peace Collective, which consists of about 16 community-based organizations that's gonna collaborate and co come together and coordinate strategies to be able to combat some of the crime and violence in the city. 
And that includes mediating some of these conflicts directly. Um, and so the office also has social workers, case managers, victim advocates, uh, anti-racism and hate crimes unit where people can come and report if they feel discriminated against based on race and ethnicity. Um, and we also have clinicians and therapists and a hospital-based violence intervention program. So it's a gamut of a, a bunch of things happening under this office. Um, and yes, it has been entrusted to me to, to run it, develop the strategies, um, but ultimately because I come from the community, born and raised in the city of Newark. And we've soldiered together with Mayor Baraka before he was the mayor, before he was the councilman, when he was the principal of a school. And so we know that community-based efforts work. When the people know the community, they come from the community, the outcomes are inevitable. So you all, now, Mayor Baraka was telling us that um, the police, and I guess in conjunction with your office and others, have identified those people who are crisis, they're in crisis. So they, uh, you know, are folks who have been identified as the troublemakers, the potential right. shooters, and you all are working with them. And I know you say the office that you have said that the office you're working on, um, it's in progress, but this work is already happening. It's just that at some point you guys are going to have a center, which I hope will become a national model, even an international model for how you bring violence down and how you work directly with the community. But every day at this point, you're, you're doing this work, working with these young people, trying to get them employed and to keep them off the streets. Am I, is that correct? That's correct. So what we find is the data says that 4% and sometimes even 10% of the population experience the most crime and violence or the small amount of people are committing the most crime and violence. And so rather than coming up with this approach where we are blanket, you know, doing strategies, it's focused deterrence, right? We go mm -hmm. right directly to the people who are committing the crime and violence and talking with them and seeing what is it that you need? Why are you robbing people? Why are you shooting people? Why did you join the gang that you're a part of? Why are you, you know, stealing cars? And just really trying to ask those questions and figure out what is it that we can do to get to the underlying por portions of it. We have um, people, so the police do have a list and they have a lot of intelligence around who people are and what's happening and what they're doing. And their strategy is just to arrest them. That's their only strategy. But we're saying no, that that's not enough because we have this cycle of violence that continues to happen if we just keep arresting people um, because they're doing things from behind the wall, inside the wall, outside the wall. And so we wanna find out what is going on. So we are um, implementing. So right now I have a, a summer program um, and we're gonna extend it beyond the summer. Um, and it's called the Safe Summer Academy where we went after and recruited those people that we know are creating the most crime and violence in the city and we employed them. So I currently have mm -hmm. 120 individuals, um, 14 to 17, 18 to 24, and then a 25 and over um, group. So I have about four sites and these are the people that we know are creating the crime and violence or have been victims of, and we are trying to intervene so that they don't become the perpetrators of. And many of them have mental health issues, substance mm. abuse issues, have been incarcerated, have dropped out of school. And so we're very intentional about this um, population and we recognize some of the issues and we recognize trauma. And so many of the staff are trauma-informed trained. And so we know what it takes to be able to engage them. 
so so let me just ask you first of all what is the success rate at this point and then the other thing is or maybe you could answer this first and then talk about the success rate but what type of work do you have these young people doing when you employ them um, you know what are you what are you giving them as opportunities and are they learning a, a skill a trade um, how would you speak to the actual opportunities and then what at this point do you think is um, how do you think your efforts are, are panning out? So the, um, what I would say is that they are um, earning to learn, right? So it's an earn and learn program. So many of them, they are learning skills around um, social emotional, right? Anger management, conflict resolution. They're getting financial literacy, money management, entrepreneurship skills. Um, they're doing vision boards. They're presenting their business ideas. The program is going to fund um, their business idea. We're going to give each of the participants a thousand dollars to get started their own business. And that may be something as small as a t-shirt business to socks, t-shirts, whatever it is, so that they can flip the game, right? So they can flip their hustle, the ones that may be hustling and, and selling drugs in the community so that they don't have to steal cars to sell the parts to make money. So we're trying to show them better ways to be able to make money, how to, um, look at their skills and, and really flip it into something more positive so that they don't have to go to jail. They're getting um, um, public speaking skills. Um, you know, so they're doing electrical, carpentry, welding, you know, so hands-on kinds of things, OSHA 30 certification so that they can go on construction sites. So um, CDL licenses. So it just depends on the age range, but we're giving them some hands-on skills that they can take that's transferable um, to wherever they go. In terms of the success, I would say that every day that they show up is a success. Every day that we keep them for eight hours off the street is a day that they get to live again, that they are not committing crimes and violence. So we have them on a 40-hour work week schedule. Um, and in those 40 hours a week, we have kept the city safe. And so I would say that those are our small victories, but those are victories and we have 120 of them. So we have stopped 120 people a day from being incarcerated or being hurt in the streets. So I would say that the, the, the victory and the success rate is in that, but we are gathering data. We are gathering um, information to see really where the impact is and what the real outcomes are gonna be when it's over. So for the young people, we can't keep them past the end of the summer um, because they're going back to school, but for the adults who are disengaged, we can keep them through the end of the year. So we're going to extend it out um, and we'll find um, job sites for them to go on. They are, they went to the mayor's director meeting and all of the directors throughout the whole city introduced themselves to tell them who they are. And they ultimately offered many of them internships. So, you know, really trying to find some tangible things that make sense that they can really network and get something tangible out of it. I think, I just want to know, you know, because it's it, the work is, first of all, I want to congratulate you on the work because it's phenomenal. A lot of times people try to, um, you know, diminish the defund police strategy and you actually utilize a word that, you know, a phrase that I use is refunding the community. And, you know, but I want to know, what do you think, like based on the data that you've been doing, what do you think is like, two of the most central causes of the crime and the violence in, in our community? Um, I would say, as we're talking to them, we're asking them, like, what makes you cause, you know, what was causing you to go out? And for many of them, it's, um, it's the culture, right? The culture of violence is popular. 
um, and it's normal. And many of them, well, my father did it, my brother did it, people in my family did it, and I saw them, you know, come up. And, you know, we ultimately know that um, the ultimate, you know, is poverty, right? Money, a lot of times. But then I find that when they do get money, they don't know how to manage it, right? They don't have a plan for the money. Even if they do have it, there's no plan. Um, and for other people, we're finding that stress, you know, being overwhelmed, um, the culture in the inner city, right? People feeling disrespected, self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem, all of those things um, are underdeveloped. Um, and when you have that, then people lash out in ways that that's violent. Like they don't know another way, right? Lack of coping skills, lack of um, conflict resolution skills, that they don't know that there's another way to resolve conflict, that violence is not the only way to do it. Domestic violence is up. Um, in the city of Newark, we have over 4,000 cases a year, um, domestic violence, um, sexual assault. You know, many of we don't even touch sexual assault because it's so taboo. Um, sexual violence that's happening. And we ultimately really attack the community violence, being at the shooting scenes, being at the hospitals, helping the families. And those seems to be the things that we are grinding all the time for. Um, but if we can get to a place of healing, right? And knowing that there is resolve, that we don't have to you know, always resort to violence, that there are other options, other alternatives. And so I think that we don't know the other alternatives. I think for me is, that we have so many young kids, like the, the ages of the shooters is getting so much younger. Really just, to me, it's like when you have 12 and 13, I was having a conversation with um, Erica Ford yesterday, and she was giving me intel that a 13-year-old kid was killed in the Bronx, and he was killed by a 15-year-old kid. You know, so it's like, wow, like at 13 to 15, I wasn't thinking about taking nobody's life. Right, I was playing basketball. You know, there was re it was certain things that kept my attention, even though there, there was violence in the community. Violence has always, especially in impoverished communities, violence has always occurred and been visible. But at 13 and 14 and 15, it wasn't it wasn't the central part of the culture. And this this culture it seems so engulfed, and it's just like for me, it's just really hard. Like, what what did it think that surprised you most? Like when you you see and it's like wow, like because we come from pretty much the same era. Like, what are the things that really shocked you that you see in here in this, this environment culture right now? Like you said, the age range is getting younger. So our youth house is full of killers. Our youth house is full of shooters. Um, and they don't have the emotional piece, right? Where it, it seems heartless, it seems emotionless, it seems careless, and it seems almost business as usual. And one of the people who work for me at Sharif um, is one of our outreach workers. And a couple months ago, his daughter was shot and killed. She was kidnapped and murdered in South Carolina, but she's here from New Jersey. The mother moved down there and she's 15 years old and she was kidnapped and killed by other young people who did that to her. Um, and it was her friend, a person who she thought was her friend who lured her out and her friend boyfriend killed her. And they shot her 11 times and, I, and, and buried her in a shallow grave. And I just thought that it was just heinous. And, and, and we went to court and saw him being arraigned. And he was like, yes, sir, judge, no, sir. And I was like, what is this? Like, how could you kill, kidnap, kill, and shoot, and all of these things? And there's no sense of remorse. Um, the girl was 16, he was 18, she was 15. 
and the other boy was 16. And just to see that their lives are just forever changed as a result of decisions that they make. So I think that I'm always surprised at the heinousness and how many times one people, oh, my, one of the guys in the program got shot nine times. One person got shot 20 times. The girl got shot four times. And I just find that it's, it's, it's overkill. But I, I'm always wondering like what makes it so detriment, like that you can do that to somebody. What did they do? And what I'm shocked about is that it's over little to nothing, over disrespect, over you said something, over you posted a video, over you said this in a rap song, or you stole this car and said you can drive better than me. So we have these young people now in a battle over who can steal the most cars and who's the better drivers. And they're, they're battling in neighborhoods over, over stolen cars and killing each other over I'm the better driver. So I'm shocked at that. I'm, I'm surprised over that. Duke, what is your skill set? Because the other thing, um, you know, I and I probably focus a little bit too much on the naysayers, but um, in my life, while there are many times when people try to challenge us and say that, you know, we are not, um, you know, doing great work or good work or any work at all. I mean, you hear the critics at times and I'm never as disturbed by the critics um, as much as I am when they say that we don't work on this issue or that people don't care about the violence that's happening in our communities because I know there are people who are on the ground and I certainly for, uh, you know, since my son's father has been deceased, which was uh, 20 years ago, I've been deeply engaged in this work um, and trying to support others. And so maybe because some folks just don't see it, um, obviously the media does not give us the same attention as they do when a police officer kills someone. And to be clear, um, the police have a different responsibility than young Johnny, who lives in a community at 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, a police officer who's been trained, who has resources, um, you know, who has family um, themselves that knows that should have the emotional intelligence to know that taking another life, um, especially without just cause, um, is not right. It's, and, and, and it's something that has to be, people have to be held accountable for it as far as I'm concerned. Um, but when we do that work, folks pay attention and they give us um, some of the media at times um, that we need in order to really bring true awareness to the problems between community and police. But when it comes to gun violence, we often, uh, the messaging, the marching, the protesting, um, the begging for funds, the organizing, people who are out there stopping shootings, that goes uh, without notice, um, even by some in our own communities. And so it is, it's really a place for me that's very sensitive. And when I hear people saying the work is not being done, nobody's focused on that. I think about people like you, Keisha, and I think about um, how you said you got started a long time ago and you've been with Mayor Baraka since he was a principal, which was many, many years ago. And so what I'm wondering is, what is your skill set uh, so that people will know this is what you can do and here's where I started and where I am today? So my skill set is, is an organizer, right? I, I started on the grounds many years ago. Um, I organized, I'm a chair for the Newark Anti-Violence Coalition. 
But before that, right, I was in the, the New Black Panther Party. And before that, you know, so organizing people in a community has, has been um, my passion, but by trade and by um, education, I'm a social worker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have a master's degree in social work, but my heart and my passion is organizing people. So when the naysayers say the work is not being done, I tell them that's not true because we got people who are on the front lines all the time. People no sleep because people don't understand what it takes to organize people. They don't understand that the phone calls have to happen, that we're at the hospitals with people, we're at the funerals with people, we're organizing the funerals, we're doing, we're calling the mayors and we're doing all of the things um, that the behind the scenes that it takes to get in front of the cameras or to make the awareness happen. So when I first joined the North Anti-Violence Coalition, the way that we brought attention to violence was by going into the streets and stopping the traffic. And so we stopped the traffic for 155 weeks in a row, rain, sleet, snow, no matter the weather condition to bring awareness to it for families who wasn't our own families. And so as, as we're out there and we're saying we can't have business as usual, there are women being killed, there are children being killed, the police are brutalizing people and we can't let it be swept under the rug. These were not our families per se, but we, we, we stepped in a gap for people um, and so they were thankful because there was another voice to help them to uplift the voices of their, the, the voiceless that, that was there. Um, but the work is being done. The work has always been done. Um, and, and people have to join in, right? And they don't join in until it lands on their doorstep. And so our people, I would say, have to be more compassionate and aware of what happens behind the scenes and what it takes. Um, in order to organize, to get some things done. We, we, we're policy changers, right? We try to get policies changed. And so had I known about ch policy change 15 years ago, then I would certainly be a bit better off than, than I am now. And so we don't learn this. There's no training. There's no school that you go to, to teach you how to be an organizer, to teach you how to be an activist. And they see activism as people who are troublemakers. That's right. Um, and we're not troublemakers, but we have to be in order to have our voices heard. And so unless it's aggressive, people don't always understand it. Don't always have to be aggressive, but when you see it, it's because there has been a, um, a dismissal happening yeah. for too long. And so now then we have to meet aggression with aggression sometimes. And so yeah. people don't understand activism. People don't understand civics. People don't understand law. People don't understand order. Um, and so when they see the ones of us who are out there, who are flying in from city to city, um, helping other people who are um, who don't get the, the, the visions and get the media. And it's hard because I certainly know that you catch backlash. I know that people catch backlash when they feel like you're benefiting right from the movement or you, you're getting a little bit of something or you're being paid or whatever it is. But it's like you don't know the cost that I paid to have to get on the flight, to get the hotel, to get the rental cars, you know, to do all of those things. So when the guy who I just told you about daughter got shot and killed in, in South Carolina, we went down there and it cost, right? For us to be down here, the missing person flyers, we're knocking on doors. We we were there for weeks. She was she was missing for 25 days. Wow, that, that, wow. That, right, we have to push the police and we're going from county to county and police department to police department. And those things take, it takes skill, it takes ingenuity, it takes energy, it takes sleep, it takes resources. 
It takes all of those things to be able to bring about change. And so I don't want people to dismiss the skills that it takes for those things to happen, but the energy and the passion, because many of us, this has been on our doorsteps and we're trying to stop it from landing on other people's doorsteps. Let me just ask this, this last question. And of course, my son, if you have anything else, but I think this is um, an important question. My son asked you earlier, what shocks you? And I wanna know, what are you most proud of? Of all the things that you're, you, you're doing at this time, what are you most proud of that, that makes you go to sleep at night saying, you know what, no matter what happens out there, I know I try. So what makes me most proud is knowing, and then I'll speak even for, for the mayor on, on one side of this, is that we've lost parents, right? So he's lost his father. I lost my mom and my dad. And I know that our um, passion that keeps us doing this work is that we stand on the shoulders of people before us that we have to make proud that people who are proud of us that we can't let down and we can't embarrass them. And so what makes me proud is knowing that my mother and father is proud of the decisions that I made. My brother um, is in jail now and he's been shot by the police. He's been shot by community people and he's probably even been the shooter. But I'm proud to know that I didn't let those things change my heart to know to do what was right regardless of in the face of um, in the face of change, in the face of adversity. And so I, I strive to do what's best for the people after me and to be able to be an example. So that's what makes me proud that I, I think that my parents and people who poured into me, I have people from my neighborhood who poured into me, who taught me. Um, and so that's what keeps me going. That's what inspires me and motivates me is that I have people who depend on me. And every decision that I make, their life depends on it as well. And so I make decisions based on their lives. Well, I'm proud to say that I know you and that I work with you and you're an amazing person. It's good to understand, it's good to know that we have people like you that, that do the work for the same reason we do it. You know, all the backlash, all the negative, whatever in the world would not stop me from doing this work because I understand that our people need this work done. And whatever, you know, and most of our leaders will criticize and, and receive backlash. If you not, you know, I say if you not, if you didn't do real work, if you haven't been ostracized or criticized for the work that you do, if you not, you're not doing anything that's life changing and you know on a cusp of something that's new. You know, when you do new work and you take new strategies and you decide, you know, I'm gonna follow my heart and do this way, there are gonna be people that are naysayers. So I just want to say that we are glad to have you on the front lines and have you on street politicians. We're gonna have you back up here one time, especially when we get you when we start we do it on in person. We gotta have you come to the studio, man. And just yeah. take it, you know, and, and we just want to say we appreciate your work, man. Keep doing what you do, man. Thank you so much, Keisha. We appreciate you so much. And it feels good to be able to highlight your work because I know that you wear it on your sleeve. Um, and you know, I have to be the one to say because I think it's important, and I think the mayor would say as well with all that he's trying to do and the fact that he's pulled in a million directions, as my son said, um, you know, when, when we first brought you on, uh, he, has, he has responsibilities that are beyond violence prevention and intervention. Right. And to have a strong black woman 
sitting in this seat, helping to coordinate and organize people. I know it makes the mayor proud as well. That's why he mentioned you during his interview. And we wanna do whatever we can to support you and to make sure that you are able to keep the stamina and the energy to keep going. And so thanks again, thanks for talking with us and know that we are here, the show is here, but we are also here personally to support you. Absolutely, I thank you so much for, for bringing me on. I thank the mayor for the opportunity. I think that when he first presented that he was going to do Office of Violence Prevention and he presented it to all the directors, nobody raised their hand and wanted the job and they said, give it to Keisha. So I, I <laughs> so I think that, um, that it was just for me um, and we know that what's for us is for us. And so I thank you so much um, for being partners in this work um, and for holding the line. So thank you. Thank you. Queen. Take care. You know, I think what was interesting about uh, Keisha and what she was saying, and you know, we didn't get a chance to go back to it, but she talked about how the new work that they're doing in terms of taking one of the precincts and turning it into a violence intervention and prevention space where they will have all the services and people can actually walk in and access the things that they need like mental health services and job placement and what have you, she said that that came about as a result of the defund police movement. Now, you know, you can't miss that because she was talking about the George Floyd protest. Therefore, what we all know is that people started calling for uh, the police to be defunded across the nation where we can take some of the resources and as you entitled it, uh, some time ago, and I see many people are picking it up and using the title, refund the community, refund the people. And so as a direct connection between the movement for, uh, uh, for police accountability, there has been this work to prevent violence in our communities. And we have, uh, unfortunately, those who try their best for many different reasons. I think some people just don't know and don't understand but others are purposely trying to uh, make, you know, create a different narrative. But if you really focus and pay attention to the progress, the natural progression, the police accountability movement in many places has turned into folks doing more to support community efforts, which will ultimately bring down violence. So I was happy to hear her talk about that. And I think it is, it, it is an example of how our movements connect and why we, as people who are frustrated, especially uh, who don't necessarily see the changes that we're looking for, how we need to, um, you know, we need to understand that there's, that in no way should we be looking at one part of the movement and believing that it is not connected to the entire pie. Yeah, I don't get it. That's why I don't get it. You pretty much brought my whole I don't get how people just don't get defund the police. I don't get how you don't see the direct correlation between poverty and violence. I don't get how you don't understand if you don't put resources in communities and you don't give kids access to opportunities and things that keep them out of the streets. If you don't put basketballs in their hands, you don't put computers in their hands, if you don't give them skill sets, if you don't provide them with different opportunities, then you're actually literally putting guns in their hands. So I don't get how this doesn't make sense to people. I don't get how you can look at communities 
where people are well-to-do all over this country, whether it's black people, white people, all ethnicities. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. When you're in a community that is thriving, there is less crime and violence, and there's less police participation. There's less police um, presence inside of communities where people are well-to-do. So this is, a, this is common sense, but people want to act like they don't get it because what happens is this economy that we live in is built off crime. It's built off violence. The, the whole um, injustice system has to run. If you don't have anybody to lock up and there's no crime, then they're not able to make these billions of dollars of industries that they make that are based on the fact that crime is being committed. So they have to have impoverished communities. They have to have kids who don't have opportunities who see violence and crime as the only way out to things. They have to create cultures of violence. Like Keisha said, that's one of the things, the culture. They had to create the culture of violence. They had to make that violence um, utilized as a way out of, of your circumstances. When I, I talk about this all the time, we talk about the music, people say the music is this and that. The music is what it is because people see that you are celebrated for violence. They're only given record deals. And I said it again, and I'll say it before, they're only given record deals to those people who are active in the streets, who are really the shooters, who are really the robbers. You don't even have to have a skill set. But if you're talking about a real crime that actually was committed and you put that on a track, they promote it, right? So that people see, wow, real crime and real active street mess is what's going to get me out of my circumstances, going to get me out of the hood, which is a short-lived strategy because usually is what's been happening lately. As soon as they are getting these record deals and they get out the community, they get locked up for the crimes that they talked about or they get shot and killed by the, the person who they shot, brother or cousin or family member or somebody who sees them as an op. So, you know, we got to really understand what it is that we're dealing with, man. It's got to be a full-fledged, multi-pronged, process to stop violence in our communities. And it, and it seems like, I agree with you, everything you said, and, I, and it seems that uh, Mayor Baraka has the right strategy. Uh, he has the right idea of what has to take place in order to ensure that um, we're not looking at locking more people up and or having police violence um, be the strategy for addressing issues that's happening in our community. Uh, when I hear Keisha talking about mental health support, we know that our young people need that because if for no other reason, they must be traumatized by what they see in the palm of their hands on their cell phones every single day, whether it be violence, whether it be um, issues that's happening in the community, whether it be a lack of hopelessness. And then of course, as Mayor Baraka said, coming out of uh, the, the pandemic, um, we know that people are in a real dire situation, mentally, physically, emotionally. And so there's a lot of work to be done. And I think Lakeisha Yuri, uh, having her as the woman that is behind the man, Mayor Ross Baraka, uh, Newark is going to quickly become an example of what can be done to strengthen communities and how we end violence, not by being more violent, but actually by providing people with the services and resources that they need in order to feel whole. And with that being said, that brings us to another episode of Street Politicians, another powerful episode. I want to thank our guests for being here. You know, the work that they're doing needs to be highlighted. We talked about what our communities need and we need leadership like we've seen today. So once again, tune in if you have any 
episodes or ideas for topics that you want us to discuss that you haven't heard. If you don't like something about me, if I pissed you off, send us, send us everything. You know, I, I can take it. My skin is thick. You know, but once again, I'm not going to always be right. Tamika Mallory is not going to always be wrong, but most of the time she will be. But we will both always, I mean always, be authentic. Absolutely. Number one show in the world. Number one. <laughs> Peace, everyone. That's how we own it. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that could become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.